Hello! Welcome to the Poo 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 Podcast. This is Lisa Mayer, the Maine Rebbitson, and today's short memory is called What She Didn't Know. And sometimes you think you really know somebody, but you don't, even if that person is your grandmother, your bubby. If you've ever had cooked spinach mixed with mashed potatoes, you know what some of my childhood tasted like. It's what Bubby Weintraub made every time I visited. That was it. She was my father's mother, and her head was filled with so much Torah, biblical commentaries, Talmud and Yiddish, that cooking was way on her back burner. She was a Rebetzin, a rabbi's wife, and I suspect the title might have been one of the happiest benefits of her marriage. When my grandfather, Rabbi Mordechai Weintraub, passed away when I was a teenager, Bubby assumed his mantle of learned Judaism. That meant that the other rabbis in the neighborhood, even ones that led big congregations, would stop their sermons right in front of their packed synagogues or pause mid-anecdote at a crowded Shabbos lunch table and look at her and ask, Am I right, Rebbitz and Weintraub? If they were, she would nod. If they were not, she would correct them. I sat next to her in the very first row of the tiniest lady section of the young Israel of Hillcrest, a total fire trap with its one entrance, so I was used to the rabbi looking our way during services. I myself was looking at cute black-haired Lenny Crystal in the men's section through the bronze mechitza, the divider that separates the women from the men in an Orthodox synagogue, and imagining what it would be like to be married to him. Our parents were friends, but we never even spoke to each other. Bubby was a serious davener, a pious prayer. She would hiss at me in Yiddish when she caught me staring glassy-eyed at young Master Crystal through the mechitza. She would tap the prayer book with her wrinkled finger, and her wrinkled mouth would mutter the first few lines of the prayer I was supposed to be praying, her wrinkled chin moving up and down at warp speed with each syllable. The difficult Hebrew was not difficult for her. Besides, she knew it all by heart anyway. The Sabbath services were long, but the high holiday services were brutal. My little sister Dina and I would squirm in our small shared seat, in between Bubby and my mother, whose name was inscribed on her black scratchy cushioned theater-style seat as Mrs. Saul Weintraub. They didn't even use the woman's own first name back then. As we counted how many pages were left in the prayer book till we were free, I would make up games for Dina. Find the word Satan on page 297. And also distract myself by craning my neck around and waving to Mrs. Hoffer, my fourth grade teacher, a few rows back. She used to do a lot of art with us, and I can still make a poodle out of a skein of yarn and a wire hanger. Also on the high holidays, one of the richest families in town would put on a fashion parade. Four generations of, I'll call them, Hafner women, from the great-grandma to the toddler twins, would catwalk down the aisle of the lady section to their seats in the front row, ungapached in the latest from Milan, Italy. I remember a year of cranberry feathers, a year of green leather, and one year of black avant goth. I should have hid the September issue of Vogue inside my sitter. But back to Bubby. 
After services, she would exit the synagogue, pausing on the small plaza before quetching her way down the pavement steps to the sidewalk. There, dressed in a coat that was way too heavy for this season, because she was always kalt, cold, she would receive the respectful wishes from all the pipple as they passed. Good Shabbos, Rebbitz and Weintraub. Good Shabbos, Rebbitz and Weintraub. Good Shabbos, Rebbitz and Weintraub. I, impatient, but in charge of schlepping her all the way back to our house for lunch, stood next to her in utter dread of the one question that could derail the entire thing and delay our fressing and feasting on Mommy's Shabbos soup with the marrow bones in it, which I could already taste. Unfortunately, one of those well-meaning pipple always asked, So, Rebbitson Weintraub, how are you? It was her absolute favorite question, and her answer always started with the same word. Oi, oi, the bursitis, the phlebitis, the arthritis, oi, the legs, the back, the stomach, oi, no one could understand what she went through, oi, no one understood the pain she was in, no one understood the suffering, and oi, with her thyroid, her gallbladder, not to mention her sciatica, of course, she was soon going in for an operation. After the well-meaning and well-answered well-wisher would retreat, I would say, Bubby, I think she just wanted you to say, I'm fine. Bubby would look at me through her thick glasses, her gray scheitel, her proper Jewish woman's wig, helmet-like in the wind. She asked how I was. She wanted to know. We would walk together much slower than I wanted to, and finally we would stand in our places around the table, my father at one head, technically the foot since it was nearest the kitchen, Bubby at the other head, Dina and me on one side, and Mommy and Jan, Dina's little friend, on the other. As soon as my father finished Kiddush, which has always been the most beautiful Kiddush I have ever heard, Bubby would reach up and pull off her head. The gray wig came up and up and off, and plop, she would drop it right on the dining room table sideboard directly in my line of vision like, like roadkill. Ah! What? She would cackle one of the few times I heard a happy sound out of her. You don't like my wig? My beleaguered mother would hastily move it to someplace less unnerving and less unappetizing. And finally, finally, Mommy would serve the Shabbos soup, which hath the power to soothe all manners of ailments in all manner of pipples. Bubby would shake her more natural-looking and considerably smaller head at me. It is really to laugh, she would say. What was really to laugh, and even Bubby got in on it, was when we tried to get her to say th, as in things, she couldn't say it. She would say, dinks. No, Bubby, we would say, things. Put your tongue between your front teeth. Hey, she still had her front teeth. Yeah, now kind of blow through it. She would start. We would lean in, encouraging, and she would say, dinks. 
Those Sabbath lunches weren't all fun and games for my mother, because we sometimes had to keep mum about certain plans. Perhaps she and my father were going out that evening to a party and weren't going to be taking Bubby. It was understandable, but Bubby wouldn't understand. Bubby had a couple of matching old lady friends whom she would visit after her Sabbath nap on our guest room bed. I perceived those friends as less dour and more modern than Bubby, but I never understood that even though they had known each other for thirty years, they still called each other Mrs. Sklar, Mrs. Hornick, and Rebitson Weintraub. They are of a more formal time, my mother said. After the Sabbath was over, my father would drive Bubby home from wherever she was. Sometimes I would go along for the ride, the sight of any electronics, like a dashboard, after a long Sabbath with all electronics prohibited, was like a drug. It was always fun to be with Daddy, and we talked up a storm, and I got to sit in the front until Bubby got in from wherever she was. Then, after a perfunctory, nice visit, ya, yeah, we mostly rode in silence back to her house. But then, despite my dreading it, it would happen every time. Bubby would open the car door to get out. I would ready myself to climb back into the front. And just at the moment Bubby should have turned towards the door, my foot already alight, she would turn back towards my father, put a hand on his arm and say, Sally! And that was the next 45 minutes of my life. A stream of indecipherable Yiddish. Well, decipherable in tone dissatisfied, annoyed, hurt, insulted, left out. Yes, left out, because of course she had found out about the party. That word party was said emphatically in English. Pipple talk. Hi. Years later, when I was in college, I became the editor-in-chief of the Jewish newspaper, the Haor. We decided to do a big Holocaust commemoration issue, and I asked the editors to interview survivors, relatives, neighbors, friends. I asked Bubby if I could write her story. By this time, I was driving and would sometimes schlep her around to do errands or go to the doctor. Plus, we had a standing date to go to Shimon's Pizza Plots every week. Make no mistake, my parents and Aunt Jenny and Uncle Max were her usual chauffeurs, but I could always get the car if I offered to take Bubby somewhere, and she absolutely loved to go out. Anywhere, anytime. So when she asked to move the interviews to her house, I was surprised. She made me spinach and mashed potatoes. She was going through her stuff, she said, cleaning out her closets. I didn't know that she was planning to move to Israel. We sat in her living room and she started to tell me about her girlhood in Lithuania. Her parents made sure she would be educated, she said. In her late teens, she moved to Antwerp, Belgium, and she and a friend started a Torah study group there. A friend? Yes, a friend, a young friend named Shifmanovitz. Male? Yes. Shifmanovitz? She told me his first name, but I forgot. We were friends, she said. She leaned back in her recliner, her short, stocky legs and their knitted gray leg warmers rising with the footrest. I caught something new in her tone. Bubby? There's an age-old question asked in the Jewish world. After God created the world in six days, what did he do on the seventh? According to the Torah, the seventh day is the Sabbath day, and God rested. But I once heard a rabbi ask Bubby this question. What did God really do on the seventh day? 
and I remember her smiling, actually smiling. Mizavig zivugim, she answered, and the rabbi nodded and smiled too. On the seventh day, God played matchmaker. He put couples together. God was romantic. Was Bubby romantic too? I looked at her, supine on her chair with those leg warmers. A box of old papers and photographs lay open on the floor between us. And then I heard, We wanted to get married. Shifmanovitz. She had been in love with Shifmanovitz. And all of a sudden, this unhappy, old, wrinkled, kvetchy, hissy, complainy bubby was a young girl, like me. I could see her. She was real. We were going to get married, she said. New? I asked, mesmerized. It was like I was meeting her for the first time. She was silent for too long. I thought maybe she had fallen asleep. But then came this. He told me that he had been betrothed as a baby by his father. His father's business partner had a baby girl. I felt suddenly warm. Betrothed as a baby? Apparently, the two fathers made a nader on the betrothal. They swore on it. Bubby's young friend Shifmanovitz grew up, never even knowing the girl. But a nader is a nader. Shifmanovitz would have to go back to his father's village to see if he could get out of it. He never told you? I asked her. I never knew, Bubby said. But then Shifmanovitz couldn't get out of it. And so he left Antwerp, left Bubby, left her to run the group alone. And a year or so later, a new young man, an earnest and brilliant Torah scholar with round glasses, showed up to that little study group. I like to think that God, the matchmaker, has a backup plan. Bubby, Sarah Potkas at the time, and Rabbi Mordechai Weintraub were married. I have their wedding picture. Neither of them were smiling. Of course, smiling in photos wasn't the custom back then. Weeks after that visit, the Holocaust commemoration issue of Ha'or, the Queen's College Jewish newspaper, came out. Bubby's incredible saga of her escape from the Nazis was featured. It took up an entire half of the tabloid-sized centerfold. It was a thrilling story, complete with sharpshooting guards, a raging river, bribery, an escape in the middle of the night. Our whole family grew up knowing the story, but we had never written it down. Bubby had carried my two-year-old father through the river on her shoulders. Her seven-year-old daughter, my Aunt Jenny, she held by the hand. When the water got up to little Jenny's neck, she called to her mother, Go, go on without me! But Bubby grabbed Jenny's hand harder. Here Bubby always mimed, reaching back and pulling, and they all made it across the river to Switzerland and to safety. I called the story Escape from Luxembourg. I took the fresh first copy hot off the press and ran it over to Bubby's house. She opened the paper to the center and looked at it through her thick glasses and frowned. How come it is on the bottom half of the page? I thought you were editor-in-chief, Lisa. Hi. As I get older and crankier myself and I find myself impatient with so many, many dinks, I find it harder to access that part of me that was girlish and oh so intense, back when I was unable to turn off the passion. 
back when that story about Shifmanovitz cut my heart out. That's the question, isn't it? Why do we get that intensity when we're so young, and how come we can't keep it? Bubby never got to know a few more dinks, that in my thirties I learned Yiddish, and that I regularly use it with my husband Sruli, so that our kids won't understand. Or anyone else at the grocery store. Not too many Yiddish speakers in Maine. I would have loved to speak Yiddish with Bubby. I would not have dreaded those 45 minutes of being held prisoner in the car. I would have actually enjoyed Bubby. I might have heard more stories, and not just about Chifmanovitz, but I would have totally pumped her for more of those in Yiddish. And I would have learned how to say bursitis and phlebitis and arthritis with just the right accent in plenty of time for my own inevitable looming maladies. So here I am, an older Yiddish-speaking Rebetzin. I am in shul all the time. I am friendlier with more rabbis than I could ever imagine. Of course, many of them are female. I don't sit in the women's section. Our synagogue doesn't even have a mechitza, a divider. I stand right next to the rabbi, and we play for services together. And I am always haste, hot, and never kalt, cold, and I don't want a minic coat. Nothing ever stays exactly the same. Bubby Zolzina Lichtenganeden is gone, but somehow, now, I feel like I understand her, that we are finally connected, and I still love spinach and mashed potatoes. Recently, my mother said, Mix a little shallot into the sautéed greens. It's delicious, like memory, salty in my mouth.